Welcome to the Conversations with Women of Color podcast with your hosts Danusha and Megan. In today's episode, we chat to Tefan Malasana. She's an award-winning writer. She has a WSET level two. She is an editor. She's written for the likes of Marie Claire, Mail and Guardian, Eat Out Magazine, Woolworths Taste, and she also has her own podcast. We chat to her about the diversity in the wine industry in South Africa and abroad, and also the effects of the alcohol ban that we recently just experienced in South Africa. Hi, Hi Megan and Denisha. How are you doing? Yeah. I am no complaints on my side, and you? I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good as well. We're very excited to chat with you today. Um, it's such a beautiful day in Cape Town, and yeah, we're very excited to speak all things wine and just uh, find out more about the wine industry. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be with both of you. It's a pity we can't be together in person, but I, I look forward to catching up when we are together again. Yes, I don't know when that will happen though, <laughs> but I do look forward to it. Soon the vaccine is coming, soon, soon, soon. <laughs> yeah. We have to keep the faith. Yes, yes, we do. Okay, cool. So, um, Tipang, we are very keen to find out more about your story. Um, and uh, yeah, we just want to know what initially got you interested in the wine industry. So it's a it's a bit of a, a long and a twisted story, but I, I love that um, quote by Steve Jobs where he said you have to connect the dots because if, if you don't connect the dots, it'll seem sort of displaced. Mm-hmm. So growing up in Johannesburg, my parents had a bottle store in an area called Fosleras. Um, it's a township east of Johannesburg. And I didn't really think about it um, as being part of my wine story until I started working in, in media. So I was working for a luxury travel magazine. Um, I've been working as a lifestyle writer for about 12 years. So I did a bit of fashion, a little bit of travel, a little bit of um, everything. And uh, my clients at the time um, had many travel stories um, and travel in the Western Cape was largely wine related. And so she said that she found it very interesting that whenever I did um, travel stories, I did spend quite a bit of time, you know, delving into the wine. And so she um, really encouraged me. And then a few years later, in 2013, I was a finalist for the Veritas Young Wine Writer of the Year Award. And um, the editor of Classic Wine magazine um, was one of the judges. And she had said to me, she sent me an email, which was, I didn't win, obviously, but it came out of the blue. And she said to me, listen, I read your work and there's a real um, lack of voices that are similar to yours. And I would suggest that you start a blog or you, you know, take this path going forward. And so Catherine um, Henderson, that editor, I think was one of the strongest voices of encouragement for me. And so I, I think... From that point in 2013, it really shifted my focus and it reminded me of being back in Fosleras and helping my parents when we were um, working um, and we were shifting stock around and, you know, you'd go around the shelves and and stock in the township, especially wine stock was very interesting because you'd have, you know, all your big brands. So it, it wouldn't be, and people really underestimate the township wine market, but there's a lot that I realized that I'd been learning probably my whole life. And I didn't, until it, it came to that point where I was trying to refocus my energy and trying to figure out how it was that I was going to move forward, I started trying to draw back on, on those references from back then. That is so interesting. I mean, I, I remember your blog um, from 
back in the day called uh, Taste and See. Um, so is, is that the blog you were encouraged to start? You know, it's very interesting that you think it's a blog. <laughs> um, I was teasing you guys before we started the interview that I'm a little bit of a technological dunce. So because I've always believed in, um, <laughs> sadly, I'm learning now, I've always believed in, in the analog style of media. Um, my, my blog for me always remained very personal. So my blog to me, it's still a bit of a bookmark. It's not, I, I don't market it. I know that there's still a Tumblr that exists and once a year on a web WordPress site that is called Taste Let's See. I do share a list of my favorite wines of the year, but for me, it's more of a, like I said, like a bookmark in a book. It's, it's, I try not to look at it as um, blogging per se, yeah. because it just helps me to reference. And I try and share, you know, anecdotes and people that I've come across and moments and experiences. But um, in terms of blogging, I have so much respect for bloggers. I really do because it's such difficult work. Um, mm-hmm. you really get paid. And um, I think if South Africa is very far behind in terms of the international um, media space because it's, it's highly under-rewarded work. And so that's why for me, it has to be personal. Otherwise, I, I, I think I would have quit a very long time ago if I was waiting for any kind of um, validation or reward. Mm. You have such a beautiful... Um like you've got a beautiful um, presence online and oh, thank I mean, you. I'm, I'm so obsessed. I just came here to be complimented. <laughs> <laughs> you've got such an amazing style of writing as well. What would you say was your greatest writing experience or accomplishment? Oh gosh, there've been so many. Um, I think I would be um, remiss to not mention Goodrin Clark. So Goodrin has a... Um, communications company and you know very long time ago and I know that it's it's a bit of a strange thing for me to in in everything that I've you know all these many many years of adventures but I I was a student and um, many years ago um, Gudrun's husband actually (laughs) um, (laughs) delivered a plate of um, food and a bottle Mm -hmm. of wine because one of the brands she was representing Florida Cup had a new salt and wine pairing and for me, it's that that memory really stands out to me because I think that um, we've had a huge monumental, especially this past year, we've had a monumental lack of human connection. And when I think about it, most of my experiences in the wine industry have um, lasted, and not only the wine industry, but the media industry, they've lasted in, in my memory because of the fact that I've had um, great human connections. And, you know, through Goodrun, I was able to, for example, take, um, I don't know if you know Twiggy Molly, Tepang and I um, was one of my guests at a, um, a wine tasting in Stellenbosch. So the two of us um, mm-hmm. had a day there and Tepang and I actually grew up together, our mothers are friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a few months ago, just as uh, one of our lockdown restrictions was lifted, it's so strange for me because I've been doing this for so long, but um, just as our um, restrictions were lifted. I was able to attend the launch of um, a new sparkling wine in a can. And the person who I happened to be seated next to at lunch was Trevor Stearman. And it was hilarious because Trevor and I also go way back. Like we, you know, real bloggers. I mean, the real ones, not me. Like people that take their blogging seriously. Trevor and I were guests at a Mr. Price event. And that event for me was, was you know, pr- probably one of the most outstanding events because 
first of all, it was extremely creepy. Like a few weeks before the event, <laughs> the agency sent clothing, which was our size. And I'm like, how did they know our clothing size? But okay, oh so word. you know, people would send this thing to your house with a little pot plant, very personalized gifts. And I mean, this was maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, and then we um, got invited to a house in Bishop's Court. And I mean, at the time, you know, we're all struggling. Well, many of us were struggling students. And that was just, uh, you know, beyond comprehension to be able to do something like that. And Trevor was one of the guests there. We partied the night away with like Bob Galdorf's daughter. Um, it was many years ago. And it was one of those fabulous events. And then to come back, you know, eight odd years later and be like, oh, this is my good friend um, that I haven't seen. And now we're in Johannesburg, so far from Bishop's Court. But I think, you know, when you look at the glamour and the exciting side of it, it's, it's one side of the media industry. But if you look at the human connection, it's totally different. For example, Goodwin invited me to a Sunflower Fund initiative. So at that lunch, which was also a house in Bishop's Court, um, <laughs> that we were raising money for um, uh, bone marrow cancer. And I always... I will never forget that event because I didn't realize how prevalent this cancer was. Um, and it was also, I think, a JC LaRue event. But um, when you look at all of these events, they seem kind of isolated. But as I said at the beginning, for me, it's all about connecting the dots. And all these years later, as the print media industry collapses and the digital media industry um, rises to take its place, it's very inter interesting to me that so many of these people have remained resilient throughout. You know, people like Trevor, now he's with uh, Beyonce. I mean, he, he was part of the team that produced Black as King in an iconic film. And I look at Goodwin and how, you know, many of her clients must have suffered last year throughout, um, you know, the, the difficult circumstances that they had. And for me, it's all about good people. And if I look back at the past few years, it's been all about people. Sure, that's quite amazing, Chefang. I love your um, analogy of connecting the dots. It's something that we don't often do. We don't look back to think like, you know, where did I grow up? Like, what did I learn here? And then, you know, where did I go after that? And then adding every single aspect of our lives together and thinking, you know, where did this lead me? We often just like thinking about the future, worried about the future and, you know, focus mm -hmm. on mistakes of the past not thinking that you know what everything has led me to this point so yeah the fact that you're saying it you know you, you're repeating it it's actually going to stay with me because i actually haven't done that in a long time oh, you <laughs> must. yeah that's amazing um thank you for sharing that that story with us um i just wanted to know from from your side i mean we're talking about lockdown and we know covid the pandemic it's still here mm. we know so many wine estates so many um, wine farms um, workers the hospitality industry as well has suffered um, but if we look at it we know that most owners are still predominantly white um, do you think that this industry is doing enough to promote black ownership do you, do you think that there needs to be some change and what actually needs to change on, on this front? So you've asked two questions, I think, in, in your one question. So the first question um, is what is the effect of the lockdown? Um, yes, yeah. And then the second question, I guess, is related to what will the effects of the lockdown be? So when I think about it, um, I think of wine as a value chain. And I think that... Um, it's upsetting to me that um, many people don't realize when they um, 
And I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult to not complain. But when you, many people don't realize when they complain about their own circumstances that so many people along the value chain are suffering. And what do I mean that, by that? For example, I worked in media. So I've, most of my income um, came from the media industry. So Media24 had to shut down several publications. Caxton shut down several publications. If you think about the fact mm -hmm. that there are no airline publications, several yes. of those publications are no longer in existence because there are no airlines. And the airline industry has also um, collapsed. So yes. um, in, in that sense, there are so many industries that have suffered, not only the wine industry. And it, it's quite difficult because it seems as though... Um, this is an, an industry that has suffered, but I think that there are just some very um, prominent examples. So I was listening to Rico Basson, the chair of uh, Vinpro, speaking to Bruce Whitfield on 702 um, the other evening, mm -hmm. um, not too long ago, actually, only on the 14th. And so what he had said is that there are about 531 farms that exist. And of these, only um, 400 make a turnover of less than 10 million rand a year. And when you think about a business that's making less than a million rand a month that's frightening how do you pay wages how do you pay electricity mm -hmm. how do you pay for stock these are farms so what he mm -hmm. had said when we speak about the value chain in the isolation of the wine industry was that it, a lot of this money comes from tourism so you've got your accommodation you've got your um your restaurants and and your subsidiary industries associated obviously with the wine industry is um the bottling industry and then you've got the caps. So, so many people are black throughout this value chain. So it's not necessarily that we should be focusing on the owners. And I do agree that I think that that's a conversation all of its own, that the transformation of the wine industry has been um, unbearably slow. Um, I think that I've, I was part of a conversation at an event called Food XX, and I, I really I take my hat off to Studio H for that. They were so bold to have us talk about transformation. And one of the things that we wanted to emphasize to the audience is that transformation doesn't mean replacement. I think a lot of the time when people hear the words transformation, they see themselves replaced. It doesn't mean that. Mm -hmm. It means you're making the table bigger because economically, if you think about it, look at this entire value chain. If you have not only black, but young and women. So if you have young women and if you have um, differently abled persons, it makes the table bigger for those people to be able to create jobs for people that look like them. Because what will inevitably happen is that the economic pie will become bigger. Um, my, my, um, one of my mentors is always speaking about transformation. Um, and he wrote an incredible book called Lift As You Rise. What inevitably happens, not only in terms of representation and inspiration, but when you give a young black person an opportunity, it doesn't only inspire the next young black person, you also give them the economic means to open the door. So when I open, um, a, for example, a restaurant in um, Kailicha, I'm, I'm going to be encouraged to look for farmers of produce that are um, close to me geographically because that'll be cheaper. And inevitably what that means is that I will be able to uplift those people. So I think that um, when the South African wine industry has the opportunity to realize that and recognize that in real terms, this industry will grow. And at the moment, there are some incredible um, projects. I've um, written extensively over the years um, about different ones. For example, the Cape Winemakers Guild Protégé Program um, and Compagnia's Drift. Compagnia's Drift is 100% Black-owned. It used to be um, part of the Mielas Workers' Trust. 
And for me, it's an incredible program. And it's an incredible example of what could happen. So Mirlask um, and their partners decided to open a bottling facility and then have the workers. So 30 of the people that grew up either at, at Mirlast or worked at Mirlast started this bottling facility. And they service um, many, many um, wineries throughout the Cape. And over time, they've been able to buy out the share and now it's 100% black owned. So when I think about it, and I'm sorry if the term offends anyone, but when, when I think about it, 30 plus colored people who not even one generation ago were underpaid, underskilled workers are now owners of a business. That's inspiring. And not only is it inspiring, it's economically uplifting because they can take that money and grow similar businesses. That is corkage, that is labeling, all sorts of businesses that are affiliated with the wine industry. Sure, that's quite amazing, actually. Um, I definitely will read up more on that. That's like, yeah, that I've never, I've actually didn't, I don't know about that at all. I haven't come across the Melas. Um, oh, you must taste the Compagnie's Drift wines. They're also really delicious. Oh, I will. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, yeah, that's an amazing way to look at it, though, to say that, you know, it's not about um, someone's place being taken. It's more about making the table bigger. We've been talking about this on the podcast. I'm not sure if you listened to previous episodes, but we've been saying create our own table. We've been saying, you know, um, we don't need a seat at the table. But it's interesting that you say that, you know, just extending that table a little bit and allowing for Black people to take up space there would make such a huge difference to their entire life and, and then their families and their generations to come from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their community, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Danusha and Tepang. Um, representation really does matter. And it's amazing to see these programs um, implemented in communities where you know we can uplift and we can um, give people the opportunity to um, to get involved in the industry. So, Tepang, I just want to know. Um, you obviously you you spoke about being in the industry for a number of years. You've worked in media. Um, I would like to know what struggles do you face being um, one of the very few black women in the industry. Well, there are two, and I think my most recent example is the only one that really matters. So um, as a woman, I think I always took my safety for granted. Um, I started working in Cape Town and I always say to people, you know, this is one of the safest industries for me because um, especially when we speak about responsible drinking, which is very important to me, you know, Mm. Cape Town, you guys are incredibly lucky. Media companies would send um, a bus and no one would have to drink and drive. So um, a bus would come to a central location, pick people up and then drop people off. So you would be encouraged to drive responsibly, um, which is very important, especially as we realize right now, it's part of what's crippling the wine industry, that they, that uh, hospitals have been burdened, especially over this, this period, this festive period for years. And that's yeah. something people took for granted until the pandemic hit. Um, and so uh, something terrible happened to me um, just over a month and a half ago and it's, it's it's been weighing on me very heavily because I've been thinking and I'm so grateful that you guys as women reached out to me because um, I've been thinking uh, how unsafe the space actually is so somebody put something in my drink and it was something I um, it's bone chilling it's bone chilling because I've been doing this work for so long and, and you take it for granted you know it's I've been 
ever since I was young, you know, you have all these rules about drink water, eat, cover your drink, make sure you know what you're drinking, make sure you have your drink in front of you. Don't let someone pour your drink unless you see it. I mean, those are things that all of us sadly um, preach. And there's something, mm-hmm. it's something that's almost like ingrained in you before you even leave the house. You make sure that, you know, you've got uh, your family's phone number. You make sure um, that you're dressed appropriately. <laughs> you know, all these ridiculous things to protect yourself as a woman. Um, but it's just the society that we live in, unfortunately. And so when, some, when that thing happened to me, Fortunately, I was with um, a very good friend, um, Stephen. He took me home. He didn't even know what was going on. But it made me realize how little we know about the substances that are put into our drinks. I mean, this is something I smell everything I drink. I sniff it, you know, out of habit. But I didn't pick up any different smell. I look at the color. I didn't pick up a different color. I taste everything before I sip. I didn't pick up a different taste. And this still happened to me. And when this happened to me, I had so many people reach out to me that had said, hey, something like that happened to me. I ended up in a bathroom in a club or um, I had to end up closing the door because I started feeling funny. And I'm like, this is happening. It's just a bit too prevalent. So I think as women and as women in South Africa, we need to be having a very different conversation. This happened to me over the 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. But I think that I'm so lucky that nothing worse happened, but it does make you realize that we make so many excuses for this kind of behavior. People will say, you know, what were you drinking? How many drinks did you have? Well, how relevant is that? Because as a woman, and especially as a woman working, I wasn't at a party. I wasn't having the time of my life. I wasn't with friends. I was at a work event. And as a woman, why should I be allowed to feel unsafe in any space? And I think that that's something that's been weighing on me very heavily because I just don't know how to tackle it. And that's why I'm grateful to be speaking to the two of you because I think the more we speak about it and and the less shame there is, the person I ended up speaking to it about, um, who doesn't even live in South Africa, he had said, you know, why do people do things like this? And I thought, you know, this is something we need to start speaking about. It's just bizarre to me that these sort of things still happen. Jeez, Sipang, I'm so sorry that happened. Um, I I remember when you tweeted about it, I reached out to you and I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's it's like it's heartbreaking and I mean it it scared me so much like I obviously didn't mention your name or anything but I I spoke to you know my mom about it and and I just said to her like you know when we go to these events that's the one time you feel like I don't have to watch my dream you know you can just leave it there and I'm like 10 or five minutes later you come you pick up your glass and you're not like worried like should I be checking if anyone spiked my Mm. drink like we are just we never ever um feel like we you know need to um, look out for drinks or, so, or anything it's the one time you feel as if you can let your guard down and perhaps just feel a little bit safer because I mean the world is not a safe space for women so I'm so sorry this happened to you and you know I'm just so grateful that someone was with you and the person acted fast they were able to you know remove you out of that situation because I don't even want to think what could have happened well I do I constantly think about it because you know we also have a very high prevalence of human trafficking and you know that's also something we don't speak about as women and when you look at the indentured labor that came along with this industry um, and how that has shifted over the years there are so many conversations that we need to start having and you're both very intelligent very well-read women And I think that we need to start having this conversation as women and we need to empower ourselves and we need to know as much as possible because um, it is bone chilling. It really is when you think about what could have happened. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, so sorry this happened to you. And I can't even understand what, you know, why it happened in the first place. And what's more frustrating oh, no, I don't want to that, that. <laughs> is that we have to be grateful for the fact that, you know, you are okay. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. if you ask me, that's fucking bullshit. <laughs> like, mind my French. But, you know, just to think that, like, that is what we're grateful for. You know, it's it, it shouldn't be that way. That shouldn't have happened in the first place. It makes me so upset. It makes me, like, so upset. Um, but you know what it also makes me so grateful it makes me grateful because people believed me you know I I don't like to speak about my family I know they also don't like to be spoken about but they believed me right away you know my sister who is you know she learned all the same rules that I did growing up and and partying she was like Sophie doesn't get drunk which is true actually don't get drunk at work events people will say you guys drink a lot of wine or whatever spirits because I also studied spirits but even then Mm -hmm. you know you don't actually I, I don't think I can't remember the last time I've seen somebody actually be drunk you know, and I myself, you know, after one or two drinks, as I'm saying, you know, we have so many great safe things that keep us safe in this industry. Someone will send you an Uber code or they will mm-hmm. make sure that you're in safe transportation or you'll feel like, okay, I, I pretty much know all the people here. So I'm safe enough to be relaxed. But even then, you know, my sister would be like, Mm-mm, that's not my sister. And the person who, one of the people that was there was like, you were acting unlike yourself. And I think that, somebody felt bold enough and brave enough to do this in this space. And Mm. just the week before I had said to somebody at a different um, event, because with COVID, um, I think it was more than a week before, you also can't go out every week. I try and and space things out so that Mm. um, I make sure that I'm isolating. I had said to her, you know what, I wear trousers, especially in Joburg, because you have to, you know, go from one place to another. And yeah, it's not so easy, you know, just in terms of taking a shuttle. Everything's incredibly far apart. So I try not to wear dresses. And she said to me, why do you not wear dresses? And I said to her, I, don't, I actually don't feel safe. And it's just mm-hmm. the reality of being a woman in South Africa. But I think that we start to feel more safe when we share. I think mm-hmm. that I was very lucky that I had a friend with me who made sure that I got medical attention right away. And even though I was embarrassed because, you know, you keep hearing, how was I acting? you also feel safe enough that people who um, were you around trust. you yeah. are able to yeah. say Mm-mm, something different or funny happened. And I think that we need to create that network and that, and I mean network in terms of having a net that will yeah. catch people so that we can all say to each other, you know, this sort of behavior is unacceptable um, and it shouldn't happen to anyone. And it scares me so much that this happened to me with all my funny little rules about drinking and knowing everything about drinking that I studied um, brandy and I studied wine and I studied spirits, but I was still unable to pick up that there's a different smell or a different color or a different taste. And I think that that is frightening. Yeah, I think they're made in such a way that you won't pick them up. I don't mm. think anyone would be able to. Uh, but I do hope that, you know, you get some healing and some kind of, um yeah just some kind of calmness about this and like peace you know eventually because yeah it's really not something that you know you want to keep playing in your mind and it's very scary I'm sure yeah I I wish you all the best in that regard I think yeah um so I just wanted to ask you as well so you mentioned that you've been in the industry for quite some time many years how long have you been in the industry and did the industry no let's not count you a lady doesn't (laughs) (laughs) you know it's so funny because um so I can I can officially say I'll I'll say that from 2016 
when I won the Veritas Young Writer of the Year Award, that things became a little bit more official and legitimate. But, you know, so I was featured in an Owl magazine article and like before then, you know, my age was, you know, my personal conversation with myself. And then it was on the internet. So it's really <laughs> easy to Google. <laughs> and did you find that the oh, wine okay. industry actually welcomed you? Oh, very much. Very much. Like I said, you know, well, you know, I don't know what people mean by industry. Um, I, <laughs> it's always very funny to me when people um, use the word industry. I think fortunately or unfortunately I've, I've always had the ability to say when I'm not comfortable which is why I guess it's it's been um such a blessing to be able to speak my truth um with this incident so when people speak Afrikaans for example I'll put up my hand right away and say even though I hear Afrikaans very well I grew up in Afrikaans town I refuse um don't like it's not otherwise I'll just start speaking so, to, to everyone and, and then where are we now like <laughs> that's not fair either um but re- recently I think um when people say industry, this is a global industry. This is not a South African industry. Mm-hmm. And recently I had a conversation with someone in California, if you can imagine. Um, and they've got a scholarship going for, um, you know, now there's a BIPOC um, people in, in America. So I think that worldwide, this is an industry where um, black people are on the back foot, but it is a worldwide industry. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity also to go to Champagne darling I went to um, Champagne Lantern so this is a global industry I think that you people can cry and and all of us can cry you know I worked I work as a a writer for one of the most um, prominent restaurant reviews in the country and they're not a whole lot of black owned chefs or black owned chef run restaurants either so people can say that no the food industry is is anti-black but then again the food industry might be called anti-woman because they're not a whole lot of women uh, run restaurants but that's why for me I stayed at FoodXX a, a while ago. I don't like playing the oppression Olympics. I think that it's very clear that there is work to be done. And I like the fact that we are able to vocalize the realities that it's not nice um, as a black person to go into a space and look around and the only people that look like you are the ones serving the food. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's noble work, it's humble work. It's work that I do myself here every day. Um, but when you, it is incredible that Siba is now running um, a restaurant at the Table Bay. That's mm-hmm. incredible. And more of those stories should be happening. But then we must remember that the food industry is also a global industry. Mm-hmm. One of the um, first, at the beginning of lockdown, one of the first webinars that I, I participated in was with a woman called Shah McCoy. And Shah um, is a sommelier who operates out of New York, but she worked in Portugal for many years. So I think that if you look at this as a global industry, and if you look at the fact that around the world, there are many different, uh, we spoke about the value chain earlier, there are many different levers on the value chain. You don't necessarily need to own a wine farm. You don't necessarily need to be a wine writer. You can, like Shah does, which is now run her own wine club because she can't run a restaurant floor anymore because of COVID. There's many different ways to participate in the industry. Ideally, in about five or 10 years, we'll be having a very different conversation because all of those amazing young people who've been trained by the Cape Winemakers Guild Protégé program will have upskilled and they've had that incredible skills transfer. And hopefully they will be running their own tasting rooms and wine farms and we'll be able to ask them for how you did it. But at the moment, I think that um, as, as long as we continue to look at this under the microcosm that it is, we're going to struggle. We need to globalize. We need to level up. We need to recognize the fact that the world is waiting for South Africa. You know, this is a country where 
Barack and Michelle Obama asked for Graham Beck. So people around the world know that the South African wine industry exists. You need to figure out what your place in it is and you need to figure out how you're going to grow in this space. Um, earlier, mm. you mentioned that, you know, you're not afraid to vocalize and, you know, speak up when you in a conference or at an event, let's say someone's speaking Afrikaans, you're not, you're brave enough to say that, you know, can you rather speak in English? I think that's, that's so important. You know, that's how we overcome some of these um, racial injustices as well. So I just but even to... like what you guys are doing, I think it's very important to, to, to shift the, the focus of representation. When you're at a wine farm, why not look for the story of the person in the tasting room? You know, the Miela story is very interesting to me because the MD of that of Compagnia's Drift used to work as admin in Miela. So if you don't look for those black people in those spaces and grow them, we're going to have to keep having this conversation for the next 25 years. Mm. No, I completely agree with you. And I'd like to know how do we amplify black voices um, can you maybe also just name a few publications, um, you know, that's doing some incredible work? Well, it's very sad. Obviously, I spoke about how the um, media industry has collapsed. <laughs> Basically, the traditional media industry has collapsed. But if you think about Jenny Chris Williams, so she has a show on Saturdays um, on Kai FM. Um, and Jenny um, used to have a show at midday on 702 in Johannesburg. And I grew up listening to Janie talk about gardening and books and lunch and everything wonderful. And so two or three years ago, she called me when she was in Cape Town. I also didn't believe it when I heard her voice on the phone. I was like, this is a scat, like, hello. And then, she, you know, she would text me to say, let's have um, lunch. I want to interview you for my show. And I started and I stammered throughout our first interview. But over time, we've become friends. So for the past few years, I've been um, working with Janie. Well, I've, that what it I've been interviewed by Jenny. Let me not elevate myself. I've been interviewed by Jenny on Kai FM. And a few months ago, I was actually at a family funeral and some women from Gatlehong said, you know, every time we hear you on the radio, we say she's one of ours. And every time, you know, that woman with the wines, every time Jenny speaks about you um, or speaks with you, we listen and we go and we buy those wines. And it was bone chilling because these are directors of companies. They're amazing women, but they're from Gatlehong, which is the same township that I grew up in. And so for me, that is the power of representation. Mm -hmm. And that's why every time I write, and I've been very fortunate that I've had good editors, um, Mikateko Media is a Black-owned media company. And unfortunately, at the moment, obviously, like all other media companies, they're struggling. But Ingrid Jones um, is the editor of Juice, and she was also part of the team that acquired Sabana after Ndalo Media um, obviously could no longer continue. But... Um, all the publications that I've written for, I think I've been able to speak about Black voices, people like Mpumelele Ndlangisa, who um, is the owner of Magna Carta. So he was an investment banker and he's a young Black guy who now has his own wine brand. And then you have the Epicurean team who, alongside um, Sam Shiloh, who was the um, premier of Gauteng province when I was growing up, now they have a Black-owned wine brand. So I think the onus is on people like you, the things that you're doing now, to take these stories and elevate them. And also... I think that, that one of the things that encouraged me to start my podcast is that wine is conversational. So it doesn't necessarily need to be intelligentsia and, and hectic. You can be speaking about your favorite TV show. And then while you're speaking about Scandal or while you're speaking about Grey's Anatomy, you end up, you know, having a really nice glass of wine and a meal alongside it. So all media, I think, has the potential to do this. 
Mm, that's beautifully put, um, Tepang. I like that you're focusing, you know, on the stories that we need to actually tell and not just, you know, the oppression that we know that we all face today. So, yeah, that's something important for us to all focus on, I think, going forward. Um, and when we see enough bad news, you know, as it is. So, mm. yeah, True. let's focus Let's focus on the good stuff and tell these stories, um, the unheard stories, the stories of the people who work in the tasting rooms. That's something that we should really consider. So according to um, EWN, we've actually lost an estimated 7.5 billion in sales revenue um, in the wine industry. So is there other ways to support wine sales right now while we wait for the alcohol ban to be lifted? You know, that's a very interesting question because I had um, spoken to a winemaker who'd said to me, that you know private sales have gone up so although the hospitality industry is sadly suffering private sales have gone up and i think that we're looking at these numbers in isolation so for example according to the journal of wine economics um, the export of south african wine declined from 781 million dollars in 2018 to 661 million dollars in 2019 and at that point south africa had only a four percent of global wine exports so that is at 2019. So I think looking at 2020, I mean, this is before the pandemic. So you can look at these numbers and you can cry foul and, you know, we can stand on tables. But the truth of the matter is that this is an industry that was in decline before the pandemic. And as mm -hmm. I said to you at the beginning of our conversation, very few of these wine farms were actually profitable. Yeah. According to VinPro, only 28% of South African wine grape producers were profitable in 2018. And so what we've realized is that the pandemic only exacerbated an existing crisis that didn't create one. And if you think about it in reality, people who were wine drinkers before the pandemic are still wine drinkers. Those were people who knew to go onto their favorite websites, place an order and have a delivery at home, which is why that winemaker had said to me, it's interesting for him that private sales have gone up. So yes, right now, in South Africa, domestically, there are things that we can do. For example, if you have a favorite wine farm, look for the specials, look for the wines that maybe you liked just a Chardonnay, try one or two others. I found it very interesting. Some of these producers have been so creative, farms like Creation Wines, where you mm -hmm. have a tasting kit. So you'd have like six wines and a food pairing. That's fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. You've got all sorts of farms that have done something similar. Jordan had a food and wine pairing in December where they worked with um, different chefs. So four cities in South Africa where you'd have like a five-star deluxe meal with um, a six um, taster of wine and a nice bottle of wine, um, Merlot and a dessert wine. So that would probably be the cost that you'd normally pay at a restaurant, but now you're having it from the comfort of your home. So look out for these sort of specials. Support your restaurants. I know that a lot of restaurants are obviously suffering at the moment with the curfew, but restaurants like DW 11 to 13, you've got um, a four sharing meal or a two sharing meal that you can order the roast lamb or the chicken and pair it with wine that you know you would have ordered for the, from the restaurant. So go on to those websites and order, but that's just domestically. I think that in reality, South African exports are the future. And I think that if anything, this pandemic has shown us that because even though we declined from 2018 to 2019, from 2019 to 2020, despite the five week long ban, that volume actually grew. So it, it grew by 7.7% to 9.1 billion rand. And of which that's 
that billion rand, seven point nine billion rand, um, comprised of eight point three percent of packaged exports. So that wasn't the bulk wine that grew; it was the actual packaging. So my suggestion is twofold. I think that South African wine needs to rebrand. And Mike um, from Valera has been preaching, and from the Stellenbosch Wine Week has been preaching this for the long for the longest time. And it didn't really make sense until now that there there needs to be obviously you guys are, are marketing geniuses, so you understand that there needs to be a rebrand. So although bulk wine has saw, seen positive growth and that bulk wine grew by five percent, the truth of the matter is that eight percent of branded grew by even more. So what do we need to do? How do we grow branding? I think that we need to stop crying. <laughs> it's very sad. Yes, that, times mm -hmm. are very sad, but they're sad for everybody. All yeah. sorts of industries are collapsing. Parents can't pay school fees, which means schools are also suffering. There's no industry that's coming out of this pandemic. Well, there are very few industries that are coming out of this pandemic smiling. The paper industry, I'm sure, collapsed because everyone's on their computers. But the thing that we yeah. can do is we can grow brands. And so what mm -hmm. I would encourage, this is a free um, marketing, <laughs> what I encourage brands <laughs> to do, there's a focus on these good stories. We keep talking about how we're not saying, oh, so-and-so has a vegetable farm or, you know, you've got um, Journey's End who's got that incredible story where they created um, soup kitchens. Those are stories that are going to grow your brand because every time someone thinks of Journey's End, they're going to think, wow, during the pandemic, they fed hungry families. So if I was a wine farm, I would do two things or three things on on all forms of media, if that's radio, if that's TV, if that's print, if that's digital, I would do the three things, which is number one, get your name out there. Make sure that your website is ready to sell. Even if you're not able to distribute, make sure that there's a message on there that as soon as lockdown is over, you'll be able to distribute, but make sure that it's there and make sure that your website is engaging and that people can access, even if you can't have those beautiful little tasters, People have the experiential experience of saying, okay, this is Chardonnay. Oh, even if I'm not a wine drinker, now I'm curious because the Chardonnay, oh, you're saying it's, it's yellow. Oh, okay, I've seen yellow wine. Oh, you're telling me it smells like vanilla. I love vanilla. Tell me more about it. Make it experiential on the website. The second thing I would do is to focus on those good stories. Put them everywhere. Put them on your blog. Tweet them, Instagram them because there's so much bad news. People love good news. People love hearing good stories. So if you do have like, Hartenberg, if you do have two people at your farm who started a, a, a community garden, tell that story. People want to know about the community garden. And then the third thing I do is stop crying. I think that we've, we're all struggling. Chroet Constantia did an amazing thing at the beginning of the pandemic, which was to say that, listen, we do understand that hospitals are under strain. So don't be rude and don't undermine the difficulty that other people are going through. People are literally dying and they're losing their family members. So Understand where your customers are coming from and, and you'll win. So that's all I would do. I'd spend these next few weeks growing the domestic market because people do want to be able to order wine. They want to replenish their sellers. They want to experience new wine and they want to travel. Once this pandemic is over, we're going to want to come out to the Cape and we're going to want to see, but we're not going to want to go to places where people will reach us and they told us how much our pain was irrelevant. And that's all I would do. Oh, that's amazing. I love that you mentioned all my favorite wines, Hartenberg, Journey's oh, <laughs> End, Jordan, like Creation. Like, I love that. <laughs> Everyone you mentioned is like, you know, um, just the ones that I drink regularly and they have good stories to share. And I think they create that experience. Creation definitely mm. creates that experience. And you're right, even if you can't create the experience, then tell a story, use your social media. 
Um, there's so many people. I mean, there's freelancers that are looking for work right now as well. True. So hire those freelancers, get them to rebrand, do what you got to do to survive. I mean, we're all doing that. But yeah, you, you're giving like 100% like great advice to focus on the good things right now. The news is just, you know, bad overall. So Tepang, if somebody was young and ambitious and wants to enter the wine industry, or even if they're in the industry and they just, you know, needs some kind of guidance, how would you advise somebody like this who maybe just wants to enter the industry? What advice would you give somebody? I would tell them to, to reach out. So, and to people that have been there before, um, the reason I'm laughing is because I'm thinking of Banele Vagele. Banele was one of the Cape Winemakers Guild protégés who made his own wine. Um, it was auctioned at Nedbank. Um, they had a private testing here in Johannesburg and it was a record-breaking win because it, I think one bottle of his wine reached 50,000 rand. So find the Banelles, find people like Tinashe who um, was a sommelier. You know, these stories are amazing of Tinashe and, and Joseph who started out, you know, as sommeliers, started out in the restaurant industry. They now have their own wine brands. Joseph also has a gin. Um, and it's incredible because that gin represents Zimbabwe where he's from. I think reach out. I think that a lot of us, I've had a, a few people um, who, I don't know, I, I don't have any sort of um, magic bean. I, I don't have the jack and the, the beanstalk thing. <laughs> But I think the two things you can always do for yourself is to educate yourself and to reach out. And don't, um, I've been an Alan Gray Orbis Foundation mentor for the past few years. So my mentorship experience has taught me that you don't stop knocking at doors. So, you know, people will send you one DM and then it'll get lost somewhere, but don't stop reaching out. If you see somebody in an event, say hi, um, make sure they know about you. And because they will remember you when they do have um, a commission for a writer or when they do have um, a need for an extra hand at a harvest, they'll say, where's that young man that said to me he's interested in winemaking? Let me call him. And then if you if you make sure that you're always at the top of their mind, check in on them, ask them how they're doing, they'll know that they must call you and make sure that the next time they have um, an event, you're there. So I think about Vanilla a lot because he's now working with Duncan Savage at that Salt River um, um, I think it's a production facility as well and tasting room. So even though he's not financially ready to start his own brand, Banele has all the tools. He went to school, obviously he did his BSc. On top of his BSc, some of the big names at Nedbank who've spent those 50,000 rands and Greg Maloka, who was the MD of Kai, is actually the person that spent that 50,000. If people like Greg Maloka know you and they know your story, in five or 10 years, when you have the capital to start your own brand and you're like a, a Banele, they'll be able to uplift you. So what I'm saying in short is don't give up. It's really hard. It's not easy. We don't um, have fun doing it every day. Sometimes I threaten to retire at least once a week. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy, but you have to make sure that people um, are aware that you exist. So don't cry in a vacuum. Reach out and say, hi, you know, there's a lady that contacted me on Twitter. She was a sommelier. The restaurant obviously closed down, but I'm watching out for her. I'm always looking at her timeline I'm always wondering, you know, what she's going to do next. I had said to her, for example, because she was asking, you know, how does she get people to send her things? I said, you know, I, I really don't know. Sometimes I open my door and someone knocks at my door with a bottle of wine and I also don't know why they're delivering it to me. But the truth of the matter is um, if you do these things, people will know you're doing them. So I'm always keeping an eye on her and that's because she, she reached out to me. So keep reaching out to people. Um, it is hard, but don't be discouraged. Um, I always, I always think to myself, you know, the, the, 
like I said, it's, it's, it's not like a magic formula. It's not like you can grow a couple of grape seeds in a thing, you know, in, in some cotton wool and it'll become a vine tomorrow. Keep watering it. These things take time. Be patient and also just be nice. I'm actually speaking of that Mr. Price event. That is Poppy Galdorf gave that piece of advice that I've never forgotten. She said, just be nice. So I know that sometimes I'm grumpy and I'm tired, but when I think about it, that's probably the best advice in the world that the, the best thing you can do is just be nice. Actually, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for the advice, Sifang. I think that's so important, you know, find mentorship and don't stop um, knocking on doors. You know, perhaps it won't happen immediately, but, you know, you never know what could happen down the line. Yes, and I also think, you know, it's incredible, like, tables turn. Tables really do turn. It's, I think people forget that, you know, even right now, you might be a struggling student or you might be a young working professional and you come home and you're tired, but tables turn. In a few years, you might be the one with the, with the power and the ability to, to, to shift someone's whole future. So that's, for me, it's critical that even you in that position, don't, don't be so discouraged that you give up. Yeah. That's very important. So before we close, um, you have a podcast called In My Kitchen. If anyone mm -hmm. wants to listen to your podcast, if anyone wants to connect with you on social media, where can they find you? So it's at In My Kitchen Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And then it's on Apple Podcasts. I'm on Anchor, which means it's on every platform from Google Play to Spotify. Cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, I love listening to your podcast. Um, Thank you. I've um, purchased bottles of wine after listening as well. It's really informative. And also sometimes it's, it's very technical as well, but it definitely expands my knowledge and it, it challenges me. So I think um, you're really doing amazing work uh, in your Thank space. Thank you. I love what you guys are doing. I love, um, I love how diverse your careers are also becoming. And it's, I think that podcasting is such a great medium and I'm so honored and, and touched that you asked me to be a part of it. Thank you so much, Yifang. It was such a great pleasure to speak to you mm. and hear your knowledge and your insights to the industry. I've definitely learned a lot from what you said. And I think we all need to focus on those good stories and keep telling them to wherever we can as much as possible. Uh, and I wish you all the best in your endeavors for this year. And, you know, I hope that, you know, you stay safe and sound and, yeah, the thank you. Stay safe, everybody. And thank you for being so nice to me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. It was thank lovely you. chatting to you. All right, then. Bye. Thank you. Thank Bye. You. Bye. Thank you for joining Conversations with Women of Color. Check out our social media channels. Search for Admus underscore Danusha and The Authentical across all platforms. And if you enjoyed the conversation, share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next one.